This week's special guest, he started his career as a Maple Leaf. He became one of the greatest St. Louis Blues of all time with eight straight 30-goal seasons. The original Iron Man, Gary Unger. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up! Welcome to the program. I'm excited about this one as always. Our guest today was born at Edmonton. He grew up in Calgary. He was a center. 413 NHL goals, 391 assists, 1,075 penalty minutes. He played 1,105 games over 16 NHL seasons with the Leafs, Red Wings, Blues, Flames, Kings, and Oilers. He was a seven-time NHL All-Star played in 914 consecutive games, the original Ironman, Gary Unger. Gary, welcome to the program. Thanks for being being with Hi, us Joe, today. Hi, Joe. How are you? Well, thanks for I'm much. awesome. I'm awesome now you. that you're here. Yeah, good to see you too, <laughs> my friend. Uh, now, so you were, you were born in Edmonton. You know, you get special extra marks for that, uh, being born in Edmonton. Yeah, that's right. I, on my early hockey cards, they had me down that I was born in Calgary and I was 110 pounds or something. So they had to change. It. I, I don't know whether they ever did change it. <laughs> yeah, I know. So some, I, some, I some sources still have you born in. in... I moved between. In Calgary. Okay. Right. And that was where you grew up, though, in Calgary. I know you grew up on a farm and you loved horses. Do you still ride horses? Uh, there's, we had some old video of you riding some horses back in the day and on the farm. Well, when, when I grew up, I wanted to either be a hockey player or a cowboy. And when I was in St. Louis, I was able to, uh, I bought a 200-acre ranch. Uh, I raised quarter horses and motorcycles. And uh, I'm still doing both. Uh, I had a little little lapse because I, I like every other guy that played, probably I've had both my hips replaced and both my knees, and I wasn't sitting too good in the saddle when I when my hips were, were sore. So, but I'm back again. Right. So, uh, so you're still riding. You're still riding the motorcycles, uh, and, and uh, obviously you're healthy enough, even though the hips are have been replaced to, to get that done but there's a picture of you as a young lad on on the horse and on the farm and there's your farm in, in uh that's there's your farm in st louis or outside st louis that's right yeah. go ahead they did a special on that farm i think floyd thompson was along with me at when we lived together at that farm that's actually sid solomon's right. farm that's not my own farm that's the first couple of years that we were there oh the Okay, owner of the Blues, and you lived on the farm. Right, and then he came in one day driving his Rolls Royce and said, I want to show you something, and he took me over to the other farm and said, you need to buy this thing. So that's when I got my farm, but I, we stayed a couple of years at, at the Solomon's farm. That was before I was married. So tell me, right, okay, now um, you grew up on, on, on the farm, you know, in, in outside Calgary, I guess, and and. You, your younger sister had a disability. I remember I reading about this, and and uh, it served to inspire you uh, in your hockey career and in life. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my sister had polio before the vaccination uh, in '53, uh, and her legs never grew, her muscles in her legs never grew. So she was in a wheelchair, and I was very active. Uh, she was all over. Uh, uh, in the house and in a wheelchair, I was out playing football and hockey and all those other things. And it gave me a, it really, I really had a difficult time feeling sorry for myself when anything happened. Uh, you know, I got a little bit of an injury, something happened to my shoulder. Or, uh, I knew that in two weeks I'd be back to normal again and she was always going to sit in this chair. So I gave her a lot of credit for the Ironman streak because, uh, 
I played through a lot of stuff uh, just from her motivation. Well, let's talk a little bit about that streak. 914 games uh, without missing a game. And uh, this is back in the 70s, uh, primarily when, when you, you know, where the game was a little rougher back then. I mean, you got hacked, you got whacked, you had to fight. I mean, uh, you know, head hits were allowed and everything was, was, you were always free game. How are you able to, I mean, you mentioned that you, you, you know, your, your sister inspired your like a little nagging injury was never going to keep you out of the lineup. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot. You took a lot of punishment, a lot of beating back then. And, and uh, you kept going every day, every game. There's your first NHL goal, by the way, as a Maple Leaf. Tell oh, us wow. about that goal. Gary. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in Toronto. Well, you know, the one thing as a rookie, you don't want to get out of the lineup. So a lot of times you play through things. There, there's some things that I, that I played through that they wouldn't have allowed them to play through today. Uh, I'll tell you one little story. When I got traded to Detroit, uh, we could never beat Boston in Boston. And uh, a coach came in at practice. I think it was Doug Barkley he came in to practice and he said, we got a new game plan. We were playing Boston the next day. He said, when, when, we, when you're out there, the, the center iceman is going to hide behind the net and we're going to play five on four down in the other end. When the team comes down and dumps it in, the centerman's going to grab the puck and dump it out. So that was our game plan. So Alex Delvecchio was the first guy. He hid behind the net. We had our little scrimmage and then, then it was my turn to hide behind the net. So I was hiding behind the net and uh, Ronnie Harris, a big, big, tough defenseman that we had. I don't know how he ever got a breakaway. Uh, he, he didn't score an awful lot of goals, but he was a great teammate. Uh, but he somehow got a breakaway in this, and he forgot about me. He's coming in with his head down. He's just coming over the blue line, and I'm hiding behind the net, and I'm thinking, well, I can't stay here. So I come out from behind the net, and I, I charge at him, and he goes to take a slap shot. I poke the puck off his stick, and he follows through and whacks me in the in the right eye, and opened me up for about 17 wow. stitches. So they they taped me up and and did the stitches. We we got on the plane. I had an ice pack on the plane. We got I couldn't see anything out of that one side, and we got to the game in Boston the next night, and I still couldn't see. And the coach said, "Well, you got to see a doctor before you can play." He said, "Are you okay?" I said, "Oh yeah, I'm good." He said, "Okay." you got to see a doctor. we got to get you cleared. So I went back to see the doctor and the doctor says, how you doing? I said, good. He says, can you see? And I said, oh yeah, I could see. <laughs> he said, okay, you can play. Yeah, right. And I kept getting blindsided by Teddy Green and, and the big bad Bruins because I couldn't see out of the one side of my eye. So, you know, there, there are times when I, I didn't want to disrupt my, my normal life. Uh, I've, I've gone on horse trips with, uh, broken arms and, uh, if something was going on, I always felt better if I just kept doing normal things. If I had the flu, I was better off to sweat and go to practice and, and skate than I was to lay in bed. I mean, if you check yourself into a hospital in three days, you'll be sick. So I just, it was kind of a mindset and, and kind of a, a thing that I thought about my sister, like I say, and, uh, uh, I never really... I, unless I was in a cast, I was going to play. Now, your Leafs, uh, the Leafs picked up your rights, uh, is the way I understand it. You ended up playing with the London Nationals. Is that uh, is that what, how it came down? Because you're you know a Western yeah, Canadian boy playing. ends up playing junior hockey in London. I was playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League in uh, Buffalo for the Calgary Buffaloes uh, Junior, and Bob Davidson came up and and met my dad and said. Uh, We'd like to have Gary come and try out in uh, for the Marlboros. So I flew out to, to Toronto. I didn't know anything about London. Jim Gregory was the general manager. And when I went to camp, there was a pile of guys. And I thought, and I didn't know how good I was compared to the players that were out east because the, the Eastern players were the ones that were making the league all the time. They were, they were going up to the, to the pros. And the Western Canada guys were kind of a long way away. So... I wasn't sure how good I was. And so I went and competed with these guys. And after practice, they'd bring me in and say, do you want to go to London? I said, no, I don't want to go to London. I came to make the Toronto Marlboros. 
So they did that about three different times. And then the, the fourth time, Jim Gregory and all these guys were sitting in a room and a little chubby guy was sitting there and it was Turk Broda. He was the coach of the London Nationals. So uh, they said to me, well, what do you want to do? You want to want to go to London or you want to go home? And I said, well, I guess I'm going to London. So that's how I ended up in London. <laughs> right. I worked out pretty good. 66-67 uh, season, 38 goals and 35 assists in just 48 games. So you were lighting it up for the London Nationals, and, and the Leafs knew they had a pretty good prospect there. Now, then you're part of the – but you're not a Leaf for very long because uh, you went to Detroit and probably, I'm guessing, the, the biggest trade in Maple Leafs history. Well, one of them anyway. The Gilmore trade is right up there too. But uh, the, you were traded to Detroit along, along with uh, Frank Mahovlich and Pete Stemkowski and the rights to Carl Brewer for Norm Ullman, Paul Henderson, Floyd Smith, and Doug Berry – back in uh, March 3rd, 1968. Uh, were you upset to, to leave Toronto? No, because I really wasn't playing. Uh, back then, the rookies sat on the bench, and uh, I wasn't getting an awful lot of ice time. In fact, I, I went a bunch of times to uh, the management and said, listen, I know someday I might play in the NHL, but I really don't get a thrill out of sitting on the bench and having a Toronto Maple Leaf uh, uh, season ticket. I, I need to go down to Tulsa right. to, 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 the, to the American League somewhere where, where they're going to let me play. So uh, I was kind of waiting to go down in different times. But by my, my whole start of my first rookie uh, season, I had a knee operation before the season started. I went back and played in London. Uh, I sat on the bench with the Leafs. Then I went to Tulsa, then I went to Rochester, and then I came back to Toronto. So by the time I came back to Toronto, that was just before the trading deadline, uh, I was ready to go anywhere that would let me play hockey. Well, and, and when you went to Detroit, they let you play hockey there. And uh, so in 69 and 70, uh, you score 42 goals uh, with the Red Wings. And 51 game, uh, games into the next season, the Red Wings trade you to St. Louis. Another big trade. And uh, were you surprised? But I know I know there was part, part of the deal maybe had something to do with the hair. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, that, that one was a surprise. The first one, uh, the first one was a surprise as well. You know, you never know you're going to get traded. But uh, the second one was a surprise. Uh, I really liked Detroit. I enjoyed the city. Uh, when I came into the dressing room, when I first met the team uh, in Madison Square Gardens, I was playing center between Gordie Howe and Frank Mahovlich. Uh, my my wow. idol growing up was Gordie Howe. So now I'm sitting in the dressing room with these guys. Frank Mahovlich turned out to be a really great friend. Uh, Bobby Bond was there. Uh, there was a lot of Toronto guys uh, in, in the organization. But it was just a whole different atmosphere in Detroit. So I really loved Detroit. Uh, the whole story was that the day before training camp, after this, after this uh, 42 goal year, I was, I went to Greece. I went and hung around the beaches for the summer. Uh, that's I, my buddies were all hippies, and I let my hair grow. Yeah. And everybody in sports had a crew cut or a brush cut or whatever they call it. When I came back to camp, I decided that I liked my hair a little bit longer. I think Derek Sanderson was growing his hair, but you weren't supposed to have hair anywhere uh, touching your ears or whatever. So, And they brought in Ned Harkness, the, the coach from Cornell. Uh, the day before training camp, I was just with Jerry Hart, and I was again involved with horses, and I went out. We went out to ride the day before training camp and some guy had a horse that nobody could ride and i said i'll ride him and i ended up uh i ended up riding him but when i took him on a trail ride we he got going too fast through the woods and i fell off and and hit a tree so my back was sore uh, back then there was six weeks of training camp so i spent a month in a wheelchair uh, they couldn't do anything. It wasn't my spine. So if it had been, I probably wouldn't have played. 
long story short, I was walking with a cane. Sid Abel called me and said, you better go down to Detroit or down to Port Huron and meet the team uh, and meet the new coach. So I went down there. Stemmer called me and said, you better be ready for this new coach. He says, he's made me get a haircut four times. I finally brought my hair back in, a, in an envelope to him. So anyhow, I met the guys and he said, well, let's go for lunch. So I go for lunch and he's drawing on the napkin how he wanted my haircut. He never asked me how my back was. He, so I, I knew that was a pretty, yeah. pretty mood point for him. And I kept, again, going back and forth like Stemmer did. And he was never happy. He, he, wanted, he wanted his own way. So uh, because of the injury, I wasn't in very good shape when I started the season. For some reason, I started the season. In fact, I scored the first goal for Detroit that year, I was standing in front of the net and the defenseman shot it from the point and it hit me in the rear end and went in. But I was really out of shape because everybody else had been skating for six weeks. So I, I, I was still getting into shape and the guys were really not getting along with Ned Harkness. So we were losing games and things were happening and all sorts of things. Uh, and then we ended up playing a game in Toronto. It was Hockey Night in Canada in Toronto. I don't know the dates on it, but it had to be November, December, somewhere in that area. And we ended up losing the game 13-0 in Toronto. We got on the bus after after the game and, and drove to Buffalo. When we got to Buffalo, the guys went, I, I was dead tired, but we it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And they said, put your bags in the room. We're going to Sinatra's. So I'm sitting there. I never drank. These guys are drinking beer. And. I'm eating chicken wings and drinking Coke and I want to get back to the hotel room. And then they said, okay, we're all going back to Gordy's room. We went back to Gordy's room. Uh, we sat there and then uh, I think Bruce McGregor and Frank Mahovlich were part of the players association guys. They said, we want you guys all to sign this piece of paper saying we're not going to play for Ned Harkness anymore. So the rookies all kind of looked at we looked at each other and said, "Listen, I'm just happy to be in the NHL. I don't want to cause any any rifts." Yeah. Anyhow, Gordy said, "Hold it, hold it. I've been here a long time. Let me call Bruce Norris." So he called Bruce Norris. Uh, Bruce McGregor called Al Eagleson, and we had a meeting the next morning that we couldn't cancel this game. Bruce Norris promised us that everything would be okay. We went back. We played the game in Buffalo. Don't even remember whether we won or lost. We took the flight back to Detroit uh, the next morning and the newspaper was Ned Harkness fired his coach, now general manager. So he wasn't coaching oh. the team anymore, like, like Bruce Norris said, but somehow he had knew about this meeting and knew about this note. And if you go back into history, you look and see how many trades he made during that time, he just started trading guys off that list. Had I have not hurt myself in training camp, and by that time in the season, you know, in December, I usually had 20, over 20 goals. I only had a handful of goals because I was still getting back into shape. Uh, then Ned Harkness called me into the, into the office, and I, I told you before, I really like Detroit. Called me into the office and he said, listen, Alex Delvecchio is going to retire. As long as I'm here, you're going to be here. I want you to be my next captain. And I said, that's great. I love Detroit. That takes a load off me because I've really been worrying about it. It's been in the paper and all that stuff. And two weeks later, he traded me to St. Louis. So that's how I ended up in St. Louis. By that time, I was in shape. So I had like 15 games left to go in uh, uh, the season. And I ended up almost getting 30 goals again. I think I ended up with 28 goals, but it was the only season that I didn't make 30 goals in how many seasons? I don't know how many. So I don't think he would have had an easy, that easy of a job. So they threw in the hair, they threw in the motorcycles, they threw in the fact that I was single and dating Miss America and all this other stuff. But I, the fact was that I was out of shape and, and, and not playing the way I should have been. Well, you did have the nice hair, Gary. It was a good look at dating Miss America. That's that's uh, that. How did that come about? 
Yeah, well, you know what? Then all the guys were all, they, they were really excited to see me come into St. Louis, not for the fact that I was coming into St. Louis, because a lot of guys didn't know who I was, but but Bark and Bob Plager told me this after. They, they were really interested in seeing what Scotty Bowman was going to say to me. So I... I came in with the long hair and all that stuff, and I met Scotty, and Scotty said, yeah, it's refreshing. <laughs> he, never said, he never said anything wow. more about it. But I, before, I went into, before I went into St. Louis, uh, I was standing in front of the net with Noel Picard, who's a, a mountain of a man. Uh, he kept whacking me and whacking me and hacking me like you were talking about in that, at that, uh, when, when the, that era. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to play, I got to play 20 years against this guy. This can't happen. So the play went out of the zone. I went to the blue line, threw my gloves and sticks down, and I said, "Okay, let's go." So I fought Noel Picard. The next game, I fought Bark, uh, Bob Plager. And before, so before I came into St. Louis after the trade, they knew that I was I was serious about playing. Well, yeah, and and you, and you picked on some big dudes, some tough dudes. Another guy you uh, fought with, uh, Dave the Hammer Schultz. Uh, I mean, uh, it wasn't like you, you were here. We go right here. There's, uh, there's you well, he's squaring got off of with the with the hammer. Guys, guys want to fight. Yeah, guys don't want to fight. I was kind of a skinny little guy <laughs> growing up, but I, but I had to learn how to fight because I was playing. I, everybody was after me because I was scoring goals and they were trying to get me out of the game. Uh, my dad put me in boxing lessons and all that stuff, but I, I didn't look like a boxer, but I could handle myself. Well, you handle yourself pretty good. And, and I mean, like, I look at the, those penalty numbers, right? 1,075 penalty minutes. And this is for a guy who played 914 straight games. I mean, to me, it, 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 it boggles the mind that you were able to, to put that streak together. And once that streak started, uh, you know, it, you know, it, it's, it's your value to the team was, was incredible because you're scoring 30 goals a year or more. You know, you had a couple 40 goal seasons in there. Uh, you're, you know, making the all-star team seven times. Uh, MVP of the 1974 all-star game, which is played in Chicago. Tell us about that experience. Well, that was a great experience. Uh, they that's a year i think back then the coach they had the first and second teams and then the coach could add players to the team and he and and billy ray i think was the coach from chicago and he added all chicago guys so i ended up i ended up uh basically at the start of the game kind of sitting on the bench they had brought in some extra centermen so all of a sudden uh he stuck me on a line with uh, Stan Makita at center and I'm playing left wing. I never played left wing. And I ended up playing with Stan. Stan was an amazing player, an amazing guy. And I had a really good game uh, once we started getting a regular shift. In fact, there was a point there where I'm thinking, what the, what I, why am I even at this all-star game? All the guys that are playing are from Chicago. So uh, anyhow, uh, it was it was uh, pretty exciting. It was so exciting that I went back to St. Louis the next game and got a hat trick. It kind of pumped me up for the next game. So uh, anytime you can do that, it was a normal game, and and uh, uh, they got kind of a, a different system now. But uh, it was a a lot of fun for me. You hit the eighty point mark a couple of times, including the seventy five seventy six season, thirty nine goals, forty four assists. You, uh, was it frustrating playing for those Blues teams? Because you never went far in the playoffs. Was it, was it, uh, was it uh, difficult times for you back then when you, you know, getting frustrated by not well, being able to advance? Because, I mean, the first couple was, of seasons in yeah. St. Louis. Yeah, right. What was frustrating was that they'd, they'd have the draft and they'd draft all these good young players. And it wasn't until Bernie Federko and Brian Sutter and uh, – Wayne Babich, uh, and that was later on in the 70s, uh, that any of these kids ever made the team. And I was hoping that there would be some, some troops coming in to, when, when I played on a line, 
Uh, one of my favorite wingers was Mike Murphy, who who works with the NHL still now, and one of my favorite people that I've met in the game. Uh, and he was on my wing. And what would happen is you learn to, if you play a long time with a guy, you, you really knew where the guy was going to be. Like Gretzky had uh, Yuri Curry. Uh, hmm. Red Hall had Adam Oates. Yeah. You know, there was always seemed to be two guys. And whenever I got a guy, I got a guy like Murph or somebody that, that played really well. Jack Eagers was our, our, our other winger. Uh, we always got split up somehow because I was able to play a lot on my own because I had to. And that's why I've got more goals than probably assists. So it, it was it was a little bit frustrating. And and I as I got to the, you know, you, you don't play uh, a sport like that for a long, long time as you get older. And I was thinking I need to maybe possibly go somewhere where I got a chance to win a Stanley Cup. Well, you, you did get a, a chance to move on, but eight and a half seasons with the Blues without missing a game. Um, and, I mean, you had broken noses. You had a broken cheekbone a couple of times. Uh, what are what are some of the other ailments? And did you ever have that day, when one of those days, when you said, uh, uh, I just can't go today? Well, I also had an unbelievable trainer. Tommy, Tommy Woodcock was a trainer for the St. Louis Blues. He was an amazing guy. And whatever he said, I did. So if, I, if he said, you need to do uh, three treatments today, I did the treatments. I came in and I did uh, the Whirlpool and then he got a rub down and then you did sound treatment and all the different things that they were doing. So uh, most of my injuries, most of my injuries weren't from hockey. Uh, we, had a, we had a hayride at our, my farm I had I had my farm and the guys were were all out for uh, in November to a hayride, and part of the hayride was throwing guys off the wagon and carrying people around and doing all sorts of crazy things, and I tweaked my back in, in doing that, so I came in the next day. I hobbled in the next day. We didn't play for a couple of days, and and Tommy started working on my back, and I was literally walking into with my head down, bent over, going to the to the game, Tommy would work with me until the game starts. When the game started, I had a heat pack in my back while I warmed up, and then when I was on the bench, he would stick a heat pack back in my my uh, my pants and and take it out when my shift was was ready. So there were some times when it would have been easier. To, and I wasn't doing it because of the Ironman streak. I did it because I don't. Want, I didn't want to miss any games. So uh, there was some times when when uh, there was some injuries that uh, I, I guess there's a difference between being hurt and and having an injury. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to play through some of the stuff. I, I uh, but I give a lot of credit to Tommy for being able to tape my shoulder or tape my knee. Uh, the last half of my career, I wore Lang skates, and I was—I had Bauer skates on before, and the leather boot was right next to your foot, and I got hit in the ankle, and my ankle broke, and I couldn't put my skate on. And again, I was just lucky at these particular times because uh, we had a few days off before we played, so Tommy called Lang Skate Company. Uh, and they sent in a pair of those plastic skates, and I was able to wear yep. the plastic the... skates with a broken foot, and uh, though that continued it on, and, and it never bothered me. So I, I kept I kept wearing the plastic skates because they were better protection. Playing with a a, a, pl a broken ankle that's crazy. Um, now the the uh, there was another incident that happened at your your uh, at your place. It was. Uh, uh, Bob Gasoff, I know that was an event that, that really changed, had, had another profound effect on your life as well. Tell us about, uh, about the, that incident and, and what that was, uh, what that happened, what happened to you as a result? Well, Bobby was one of my better friends. 
we had a group of guys on the team back then. Uh, Glenn Sather was there. Floyd Thompson was there. Uh, Gasser was there. A lot of guys that were, were cowboys that, that liked the farm. And they spent a lot of time out with me. When we had a day off, we'd go for ridings and go riding and do stuff. And Bobby came out a lot, but he never really fooled around with the motorcycles. Uh, he was always with the horses. And after the season every year, I would have a, a, a pig roast. My neighbor was a hog farmer and we'd have a pig roast. Uh, Winston Brunge was his name. And, and uh, so all the guys came out. Uh, I had motorcycles. The hay hadn't been cut yet on the field. But uh, uh, so the only place that they could ride motorcycles was right around the house. And later on in the day, you know, we had drinks and, and all sorts of stuff. Later on in the day when we were getting ready to eat, I saw Bobby getting ready to start a motorcycle. I went over to him and I said, listen, Bobby, I don't know how much you've been drinking, but you shouldn't be fooling around with the motorcycles. Now I have to go back a month. We're playing Minnesota in the playoffs. We lost in Minnesota to make the season, uh, the, the series 3-2 for them. We flew back to St. Louis. We had to win in St. Louis and then go back and play game seven in Minnesota. There was a ramp that went down into the, into the, the old arena and all the kids used to line up there to uh, get autographs before the game, but the same kids were there after the game. So you would walk through and sign a few autographs through the, through the kids and then say, I'll see you after the game. As I'm signing these autographs, there was a kid standing over in the corner and he looked at me and he said, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And I said, ah, I got a hockey game to, to play. Don't bother me. Now we win that game in St. Louis. We go back game seven in Minnesota and win that. And it was one of the highlights of my time in St. Louis because we came back to the airport from Minnesota and there was 10,000 people at the airport at four o'clock in the morning. We ended up getting beat out by Boston, but, but it was a great, it was a, a stepping stone for us because we'd made it to the second round. And now we're at this farm and Bobby's trying to start this bike. Somebody came to me and said, we know we need some more mix. We need some, uh, some more stuff for, for dinner. And I left Bobby and, and, and went, uh, Bruce Affleck was with him and a couple of little boys that were my agents, little boys, they were on smaller bikes. There was an easement across my property about a quarter of a mile that was gravel road. Nobody ever went down there unless you were coming into the farm. And somehow they drove down to the end of the road. They didn't have helmets on. They didn't have uh, just cut off shorts and, and a T-shirt. And they stopped at the end of the road. And the little boy said, we're not supposed to go out on the highway. And Bobby said, oh, we'll just go up and turn around and come back. In Missouri, there's these big high hills. They're not mountains, but they're they're pretty high hills and and apparently what happened talking to Bruce and talking to the different people Bobby had gone up to this little town of Villa Ridge turned around and was driving back to the farm and somehow when he come up over this hill he was on the wrong side of the road I got a phone call when that happened and for some reason in my spirit, I knew that something really terrible had happened because everybody that I knew was at the farm. It had to be something with my parents or something else, but uh, he said he was a Missouri State Troopers and he asked me if I knew Bobby Gasson. And I said, is he okay? That's all I could say, is he okay? Is he okay? Uh, turns out that Bobby was killed instantly on, on the motorcycle as he come up over that hill. And right away, that kid's face came in front of me, said, where are you going to spend eternity? Because I, this is the toughest guy that I ever played with in the NHL. I jumped into fights in brawls sometimes when the, when the, when the uh, referee stepped back to help the guy on the other team because Bobby was going to kill him. So I didn't know where he went. I didn't know what happened. And it could have been me just as easy as him because we thought we were indestructible. And that's kind of was a defining moment for me to start looking at maybe there's a little bit more to life than hockey. Maybe there's some other things out there that I don't know about or wasn't an unhappy guy, but, but 
it started me on on my my route to find out whether there was a god or whether there wasn't a god when i got traded one of the reasons i got traded uh from st louis my contract was up and i i thought maybe i would get an opportunity to play on a stanley cup team and when i i got traded to atlanta and when i went to atlanta john pronovo and paul henderson were there and bobby mcmillan was there as well my wife couldn't travel because she had uh, had a couple of, of uh, miscarriages so she had to stay in st louis and bobby mack asked me to come and stay with him he said we've got a little trouble on the team we've got a couple of christian guys and i thought aren't we all christian guys i mean he said well these guys are different eric vale was there he had the record for drinking mega amounts of beer after each game and and i said to these guys don't you think that's a little weird you're telling me these christian guys are strange i think that's a little strange so i I kind of sat back and said, I'll, I'll make my own decision on this. And I used, I started hanging around with, with Paul and, and, uh, and John, and then I'd go with these guys to the bar and then I'd go back and they asked me to go to a Bible study. And I thought that was kind of goofy, but I made excuses why I couldn't do it. And finally I thought, why don't I find out what's going on here? And I went to a, uh, a Christian athletes convention. They asked me to go to a Christian athletes convention at the end of the season. Uh, and when I went to the, the Christian athletes convention, I went with Darcy Rhoda. There was a bunch of big football players there. They were all Christian guys. And after I'd heard the speakers and the, we spent a couple of days there, my wife had spent her time in the hospital because we had our second daughter during that time uh, with another lady that was praying for her uh i realized that that void that i had inside of me for the stanley cup was a personal relationship with jesus christ it wasn't a stanley cup it wasn't a, another car or another contract or another all-star game it was that personal relationship with god and that basically changed my life and since that time you know my marriage has been healed we you know everybody goes through their struggles with the marriage and all those things but uh, I have three girls and uh, it, it was a defining moment for me uh, and I probably wouldn't have left St. Louis had that have happened and everything that happened um, has worked out you know so well because uh, you know you're you're in a much better place you know you're you're grounded and you're you're in a good place and you've got an amazing family and, and all that stuff has worked out as a result of, of that journey um, so the the streak ended with Atlanta, and it it ended when Al McNeil benched you. That was a little bit disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were playing, and we were playing, and uh, we we they had, they had signed a bunch of of new guys, and all the guys they signed were all gunners. They everybody had mega points. Nobody knew how to check. I didn't know how to check. Nobody knew how to kill penalties. You know, it was all, everybody wanted to be on the power play. So our team was a little bit out of, out of whack, even though we had a, a lot of talent on the team. And a lot of the, when, when we went into a losing streak, we would go into a city and all they would talk about is the Ironman streak. Cause every time I played a game, it was a record. And he was getting, he, right. I didn't realize it, but he was getting upset about that because he thought it was more important for me to do the Ironman streak than it was the team. Anyhow, we were playing in Winnipeg and uh, a brawl broke out in the third period. I went down, jumped in the brawl, and as I jumped in the brawl, a guy hit me from the side and I semi-separated my shoulder. So I came out of the game. There was only 10 minutes left in the game. Doctor looked at my shoulder, said, yeah, it's pretty well. It's not a, not a terrible separation, but it's, 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 it'll hurt you. I said, well, what can I do? He said, you can tape it if you want to tape it. So I go in, we play in Edmonton the next night, the very next night. I iced it all night and, and tried to take care of it. It was sore. 
uh, went to the doctor and I said to the doctor before the game, can I hurt this thing? And he said, no, he said, you tape it up and play. So I, he went to the coach. We had to both go in there and he's, and for some reason, again, that's the reason he didn't want me to play that game. So I said, well, where's our farm club? He said, well, it's in Birmingham, Alabama. I said, so you can get somebody in here to take my spot. I mean, I can, I can function. You're, you're, there's no reason for you to play a man short. Well, okay, then tape it up and go. So I taped it up and played, and uh, I think I got an assist, and I, we may have even won the game. And then we had a total week off before we played the next games. I was always fortunate that I had those. They weren't back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back because there, there were some games maybe that would have been different. Anyhow, uh, I go back home. My wife is not with me, so now I go to He said, if you're going to play, you got to practice every day. So I said, okay, tape it up. I'll practice. I would go to practice, and then I would go to the gym, and then I would go to the ice dunk, and then I would go to the, the uh, uh, heating, and I would go back and forth and back and forth. And by the end of the week, uh, it was feeling pretty good. So we had a home-and-home home game against uh, St. Louis. It was just before Christmas time. And we ended up playing Friday night in Atlanta. And I remember thinking in warm-up, good, I made it through this. My shoulder's feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. We played that game and we lost. And he was just burning. So we jumped on the plane, flew to St. Louis, and it was the, the last game before Christmas break. We went to St. Louis. Nobody said anything. The trainer taped my my arm, asked me how I felt. Felt great. Went into the game, my first game back into St. Louis, and I sat on the bench. Sat on the bench for the first period. Second period, Cliff Fletcher came to me and he said, "I thought your arm was okay." I said, "It is. I'm I'm fine." So obviously he hadn't talked to Cliff about it. Third period came. Now we're winning seven to two. Uh, I think Kurt Bennett was taking an extra shift so that I could so I wouldn't play. And now the players started coming to me. There was 10 minutes left to go in the game. People knew I hadn't been on the ice. And the players started coming to me. Darcy came to me and said, Gary, take my shift. And I said, Darcy, I'm not going to take your shift if this is what he wants to do because he'll just do it the next game. And I said, we, we need to, we got enough problems with our losing streak here. We, we don't need to throw any more at this guy. So I sat there and I moved back and forth and back and forth down the bench as, as the period wound down. The whole building knew that I hadn't been on the ice, so they were all yelling and screaming. And the puck came to where I was sitting with about, oh, maybe 15, 20 seconds left to go in the game. And two guys, one guy from each team came to, to get this puck. The sticks flew up. So we jumped up on the bench to get away from the sticks. And Al McNeil thought I was going over and he grabbed a hold of my sweater and he's hanging on to my sweater while the crowd's yelling and screaming. And that was the end of the Ironman streak. So <laughs> I, I, wow. and I thought, well, okay, maybe I can rest my arm now. And I never missed another shift all year. And I never talked to Al about it. I never said anything about it. I, I was actually stayed in St. Louis. The team went back to Atlanta. Uh, it was a beautiful cold morning the next day. Uh, I got up really early. I couldn't sleep and I saddled my horse and I went out for a ride and I was riding and I said, what really happened here? You know, nobody got killed. My family's all healthy. Uh, I'm playing in the National Hockey League. What's missing a game? What does that have to do with anything? And I totally forgot about it. I never talked about it again. And, and then I played, I don't know how many games I played after that. So had I have not missed that one game i finished the end of the season there and then i started the next season and played in la so there was a bunch more games that i would have played uh on top of that streak but it was more upsetting to me because my mother was crying and my sister was crying and they'd done a bunch of interviews i told you about my sister being involved in the iron man streak so they were more upset than i was uh, but once it was over it was over and i was uh ready to play again so you didn't get all that upset when when Doug Jarvis finally finally broke uh, broke the streak. Well, I mentioned it 
on this new guy, this uh, Keith Yandel that just broke it again. Right. It's the type of record that you would hope every guy that's playing hockey or sports or football, how many guys said, I could have played football, but I hurt my knee. I could have done this, I got hurt. So it's the kind of record that you say to yourself, I hope everybody that gets an opportunity to play sports, whether it's professional or kids or junior or whatever, that they don't get hurt. So for me to say, I hope that nobody breaks that record is really <laughs> yeah. not an uh, right. honest thing to say. <laughs> You're hoping somebody gets hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, um, now, now, in addition to playing for, you know, all those regular season games and everything else, you also managed to join Team Canada for a number of occasions. And actually, we have a we have a clip here when you were with Team Canada. And oral pal Bill Stevenson was doing the uh, doing the interview uh, as you got a chance to play overseas. Vic, if you could play that. Louis Blues is with us now. He is a veteran in hockey, but this is his first experience overseas playing internationally. How have you found it, Gary? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, it's very exciting, not only the hockey, but uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how good the hockey players are over here. They have some great hockey teams here, the Czechs, uh, the Swedes, the Finns. You can't count any of them out, and, and it's like playing in a Stanley Cup playoff. Every, It's like playing in the seventh game of the Stanley Cup every time you step on the ice, and it's really exciting. Pretty, uh, pretty good group of players over there. Well, I, I loved that experience. The only thing I didn't like about it is I had to wear a helmet. Because I never wore a helmet <laughs> in right. the NHL, so you had to wear it in international hockey. But uh, that was one of the times, and I don't know what series that was. I went in '78 with uh, we went to uh, Czechoslovakia to Prague, and then in '79 it was in Moscow. Uh, so the opportunity to be able to live in Moscow for a month and live in in Prague for a month and be with Team Canada and all the people that had traveled with the team and all that stuff was was really exciting and and how the the country backed your team and i was always disappointed that i didn't get an opportunity maybe to play in the olympics like they changed the rules after i was too old to play but uh to to allow the pros to play in the olympics so uh i really enjoyed that but again you get thrown into a situation where everybody is a gunner everybody's a goal scorer everybody's so uh i went to the coach and i think there was i think it i'm not sure if murph was there or not but it, there was there was three of us that were pretty good players and we went to the coach and we said listen you got all these other guys l Dion, and you've got these goal scorers that can score goals we're not bad at, at when we get a chance but they're better than we are why don't you make us a checking line? Why don't you make us into a checking line and we'll play against all the top Russian teams and the Czech teams and all that stuff. And I really believe that uh, I learned more about checking and I really believe that I have a, a really solid uh, 10 games that I played in that, that one series where I never got any points but I felt like I was really doing more than I, sh I had been doing as far as uh, just scoring goals. And it, it kind of gave me a, a different insight on the game. You know, you, you, uh, you ended up your, you ended your career in Edmonton and, you, and uh, just before the Oilers started winning those Stanley Cups, but you were there in 83 when they went uh, to the final. Um, and because of the experience you had, I think, you know, you brought a lot to that Oilers team. What was it like to be part of the part of the part of that, uh, you know, the Oilers as they just were on the precipice? Well, it was it was amazing actually because all the they were all a bunch of kids. It was like a junior team. I mean, after practice, we'd throw our sticks on the ice, and Gretz or Mark Messier or somebody would Kevin Lowe would get down on their knees, throw three sticks over here, three sticks over there, and we'd stay there for another couple hours playing three on three. Andy Moog in one net and Grant Fuhrer in the other net. And, uh, Glenn Sather was a great guy to have with that group because he really understood the game and he understood people and uh, he knew how to motivate. And, and then we had uh, John Muckler and Teddy Green and uh, I think uh, uh, Billy Harris was there. Anyhow, uh, it, it was fun to the point of 
I wish I had been a little bit more in my prime to be able to produce a little bit more. They, we, I missed the time when they brought in personal trainers and the gym and all that stuff that was going on to, to uh, uh, the nutrition part of the game. It was just starting to come in. And had I been able to get involved with that, uh, I think I possibly could have played a couple more years or a few more years, but it was really exciting to travel with Gretzky and, and uh, uh, you know, put him together with playing with Gordie Howe at one end and Gretzky at the other end and Yerry Curry. And uh, it was a great group of guys. Uh, and I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. When I, the, uh, when the blues, you know, who, who, you know, the 50 years of history, they'd never, never got to the promised land. They finally got there. What, what was it like for you? Cause I know you're still involved with the organization to a degree. And, and uh, what was that like for you when the blues uh, finally won that cup? Well, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't go on an airplane. You can't travel. You can't do anything without, without running into a St. Louis blues fan somebody that used to watch you play or watches them now, or my grandfather watches them. So, and I'm always amazed because I haven't played for 40 years. How is anybody going to know that I played for the St. Louis blues if I'm sitting at an airport, but I, it happened all the time. So for me, the fans in St. Louis were amazing. When I played that first game and they played the blues go or the, yeah, the blues go marching in, and the people were all standing and yelling and screaming. You couldn't hear yourself think for the first two or three shifts because it never quit. It was the loudest building I've ever been in in my life. And the, the backing that the team had and the, the excitement of the game, uh, I knew for the fans of St. Louis, for the old guys that had been there for years and years and years back at the old barn, uh, I, I knew it was, it was something that the, the, the town and the fans of St. Louis really deserved. And, you know, it, it was great for the organization. It was great for hockey. Uh, and I was excited for, for, for the Blues organization. I wish, you know, Mr. Gary, Solomon, I know you're, you're uh, yeah. Right. Would have been around. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish some of those guys were still around that was able, I wish Barkley Plager was still around. Uh, and we just lost Bob. So, you know, there, there's good and bad, but the actual Stanley Cup for the city of St. Louis was great for the fans and great for their organization. Yeah, I, I know, Gary, you're, you're, you, you were inducted in the St. Louis, the Spirit of St. Louis, the Hall of Fame. Uh, you, uh, you, uh, you're not in the Hockey Hall of Fame, which, which baffles me. And, and uh, you know, in my eyes, you certainly are a, a Hall of Famer. I, I want to thank you for being on the program. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, it's uh, you're you're just a first class guy, and it's great. As uh, as a guest on Joe Tilly Sports, we have a, a foursome for you for club from Clublink when we're allowed to play golf again. So let us know the next time you're here in Southern Ontario, and we'll get you out. We'll get you out to the golf course, and uh, you know, who knows? We we uh, we should be able to get some golfing in eventually. <laughs> And we'll get through this. And, we, you know, yeah. we are all in it together. We are all in it together. And uh, thank you again, Gary. So we'll have some more sports after this. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Clublink. Clublink. One membership, more golf. Excuse me, have you heard of the new Divot app? There's a Divot app? No, but there is a Divot. And we're gonna have to do something about that. It's simple, just pick up the Divot and replace it. All sorted, have a good round. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, Reuniting Families, the only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, 
sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's hpibet.com. Okay, it's time for my Cosa Swiss. Since there's no racing in Ontario, I'm going to go to Freehold Raceway for Saturday's final of the Dexter Cup for three old trotters, a purse of $130,000. Now, a horse that got her attention in last week's eliminations in, in Communicado, Ethan T. Hanover, the favorite in that race, broke stride early in Communicado with Gaston Gingras on the buggy, was the eight to five second choice. In Communicado, took control heading into the final turn, and he would pull away, cruising to victory by two and three-quarter lengths in a time of 157 even. That's the seven-horse in Communicado. Uh, Al Aki Svonstead trains in Communicado, and he'll have another great shot in the Dexter final with Ambassador Hanover, as in Communicado, pulls away. And there you go, my Swiss pick of the week. In Communicado in the Dexter Cup Final. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. There are many tracks racing in other parts of North America. My record on the way on the year, by the way, is four wins, two seconds, a third, a fourth, an eighth, and a tenth. Oops. By the way, I'm taking Rock Your World in the Kentucky Derby. Horse racing has been suspended in Ontario due to the lockdown, even though they had zero cases. They've allowed to train horses, but they can't race, which is really weird because there's zero difference between racing and training except that it's costing folks a chick a living for all the racing updates uh, visit costa tv on facebook well that five game slide is now a distant memory for the maple leafs after back-to-back wins over the jets the leafs appear to be in excellent shape maybe even home and cooled out beat the habs as well great to see freddie anderson back practicing with his mates he's expected to be good come playoff time and no matter what you think of jack campbell it's good to have Freddie back. If he's 100%, he could be the guy anyway. But if Anderson isn't in peak form, it's nice to have JC as backup. Former Leaf Miroslav Freacher passed away. Freacher was serving as head coach of the Czech of a Czech League team. Freacher represented Czechoslovakia at the 1980 Olympics and later defected to join the Quebec Nordiques. He was traded to the Leafs in his first season and would play six more seasons in Toronto. He was an all-star with the Leafs in 1985. Freacher had 147 goals. 330 points in 415 NHL games with the Nordiques, Leafs, Red Wings, and Oilers. Miroslav Freacher was 61. Well, the Raptors were having a pretty good April. Moved right back into the thick of the race for that play-in spot. Uh, They moved the ball around nicely recently. Hopefully, Chris Boucher and Gary Trent Jr. will be back in the lineup soon. This is a very tough part of the schedule for the Raps. With more on the Canadian hoop scene, here's Keegan Levine. Thanks, Joe. What's up, basketball fans? Welcome to another segment of Canadian Hoop and Scoop, talking all things Canadian basketball. And this week, we're going to talk about a guy whose stats may not jump off the page, but he plays a pivotal role for his team. He's a high-energy, high-motor player, and that is Brandon Clark, born in Vancouver. Though he did move to the States when he was three years old, he grew up in Phoenix. So really, he's more American, and that's, in my opinion, the typical Canadian thing. It's, oh, he's born here, or his parents... His parents are from Canada. It's kind of like Jamison Talion on the Yankees. You know, we, we're going to claim anyone we can take. But without further ado, we're going to look at Brandon Clark's journey to the NBA. As Jones, BC down the line. Oh, what an explosion by Brandon Clark. 
Brandon Clark was born in Vancouver, British Columbia and lived there until he was three years old. Then he and his family moved down to the Grand Canyon state of Arizona and settled in Phoenix. Clark played his high school ball at Desert Vista and was named as an All-Arizona Division I honoree after leading his team to the championship game in 2015. He then spent two years at San Jose State where he was named the Mountain West Sixth Man of the Year in his freshman season. Brandon then transferred to Gonzaga. The Bulldog redshirted the 2017-2018 season and in his junior year after refining his game, Clark came out of the gates hot ready to make an impact. He was named the West Coast Conference Defensive Player of the Year and to the West Coast Conference All-First Team, all the while joining Shaquille O'Neal and David Robinson as only the third player to record a game of 35 plus points and five blocks in NCAA tournament history. And here's the break, Clark! His athleticism is insane, you know, and the crazy thing is there's no telling what Brandon Clark's ceiling could be. And join me next week as we look at the second half of his journey to the NBA. I spoke with Joshua Vinson, who covers the Memphis Grizzlies for Channel 3 News down in Memphis, Tennessee. So it will be interesting to hear his perspective on Brandon Clark. This has been Canadian Hoop and Scoop. I'm Keegan Levine for Joe Tilly Sports. All right, thanks, Keegan. The Blue Jays have been able to tread water. We're waiting for guys to get back. George Springer finally took the field in a Blue Jays uniform for the first time. Teoscar Hernandez is expected back shortly. Hyunjin Rio, who is just about being just about unhittable for the Jays, gave us a little bit of scare, leaving the game against the Rays on Sunday, but it's just a minor glute strain. He might not even miss a start. Lots of positive signs, including the best bullpen ERA in the league. And how about Vladdy Guerrero, youngest player to hit three home runs in one game. He's off to an MVP start. Three homers, seven RBI in this game against the Nationals. Something his Hall of Fame father couldn't even pull off. The kid's got game, folks. Canada's Brooke Henderson made it back to the winner's circle, a victory in the Hugel Air uh, Premier LA Open. The 23-year-old from Smith Falls fired a 467 in the final round to get to 16 under par for the tournament. Good for a one-shot win. It was Henderson's 10th career LPGA title. Canadian tennis star Bianca Andreescu has pulled out of the Madrid Open after uh, testing positive for COVID-19. The 2019 U.S. Open champ had two negative tests before arriving in Spain where the positive test was uh, identified. We hope she's okay. Bianca is coming back from a knee surgery, which kept her out of the line, out, out of the, off, off the court for 15 months. Okay, we close with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks. I highly recommend them all. A reminder, the show is also available on the Spanish Spanglish Network and Zingo TV and the Fired Up Network. Thanks once again to the Iron Man, Gary Unger, for being on the show, and thank you for watching. Uh, join us next week when we welcome a couple of great Canadian boxers, Troy the Boss Ross and Mark Simmons. We'll see you then. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. RS Demolition and Excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip-outs. Looking to build a custom home? RS Excavating Services has the experience you need to build in established neighborhoods. For the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results, we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority, safety. Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate or visit rsdemolition.ca. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905-686-5678. Gold Line Resources, discovering high-grade gold in Sweden. 
Goldline Resources owns a prospective portfolio of four high-grade gold exploration projects located on the Goldline Mineral Belt of north-central Sweden and one gold exploration project in the Skelftia Belt of north-central Sweden. For more information on how you can invest in this new initiative, go to goldlineresources.com or call 1-800-858-9710. Goldline Resources can also be found on the TSX Ventures Exchange as GLDL. Looking for an advantage in choosing your investment options? Belmont Venture Capital will provide you with the best up-to-date opportunities in the mid-cap and junior sector. The company was formed 12 and a half years ago and is spearheaded by two seasoned veterans of the financial markets with over 80 years combined experience. Go to BelmontVentureCapital.com today for the latest hot picks on the market. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. BelmontVentureCapital.com.